Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Welcome to Faith in Your Recovery. As we've already stated in our intro there, the battle continues and it's all around us. It's with family, it's with friends, it's with work cohorts. We read about it in the paper, we see it in the obituaries, and it is a true battle, a battle for life and death, that battle between addiction and recovery. And we're going to talk about that today. We have a guest with us. We want to welcome you, Lindsay Rogers. Thank you for having me, Randy. Oh, it's a joy to have you with us. Uh, you and I have a background together that goes back. Well, let's not tell them how far it goes back, okay? We'll just let them wonder. But uh, I've certainly followed you in life in many different ways. We've crossed uh, many different times, but it's all been good. We appreciate your willingness to share. Lindsay, uh, tell us. Tell the folks who you are, what you're about right now in life. Okay, I'm. Um, my name is Lindsay Rogers. I'm a mother of two, and I work at the Commercial Review. I sell advertising. How long have you been doing that, Lindsay, there at the Commercial Review? Well, I worked there for 10 years, and then I took a little break for a few years, and I've been back since September. Okay. Folks, if you don't know, the Commercial Review is the uh, the jay county paper published here in portland indiana and Lindsay, as she's already said been a part of that for quite some time working in the advertising department Lindsay, what kind of personal interests do you have hobbies uh you know dreams hopes right now well i listen to a lot of music and um i do yoga at night a lot of meditation and um I guess if I had a dream, it would be to help the children of addicts. Um, I feel like we spend a lot of time, you know, helping addicts, but the children, they need help too. We're going to find out why you have such an affinity for that due to some of your life experiences and your own daughter and son and the the effects of what addiction has done to their lives and how it's been a part of it here in just a few moments. Tell us about your early childhood, Lindsay. Um, I grew up in Red Key, Indiana, and my parents were the most loving, wonderful people I could ever hope or dream of. Um, I had a brother named Matt who was a wonderful big brother. And we had a neighborhood full of kids. Oh. That's the way Red Keys played for years, okay? <laughs> yes. Everything's a neighborhood full of kids. You don't drive down the street. I don't know. That's changed some, and maybe part of that's all of our phone games anymore. We don't have to go to the ballpark to be entertained. But, uh, yes, knowing your family for years, hit us up with... You know, who Lindsay was during her high school time. What was she like? How would people have identified you or described you? 
um, in high school, I I was a cheerleader. Um, I had a lot of um, a lot of friends. Um, I think I was a happy-go-lucky person. I played softball. Um, and just tried to have fun. Yeah, yeah. Have a lot of fun. Uh, let's let's go ahead. I want you to share with the folks how you and your husband Daniel connected, and then we'll move forward from there because that's a big part of the story today. Okay. I met Daniel in third grade. He had moved to Red Key with his father, and. It was love at first sight. <laughs> love at first sight in third grade. Huh? That's cool. <laughs> he um, he was funny. He was cute. He had a real charisma about him. Um, but for the next several years, it would be like a cat and mouse game of him chasing me. And I just wasn't quite ready to have a boyfriend yet. So finally, our senior year... Um, I finally, we started dating, and we were together um, for a lot of years after that, a lot of years. Yeah, just so you folks know, I knew Daniel well. I uh, had the opportunity to coach him in peewee football as well as junior high football to watch him grow up, to know he was a New York Yankees fan to the very end, right? Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah, and he wore that shirt, that hat proudly for certain. Uh, very athletic. I can remember his skills in junior high at the high school football in particular. Uh, he didn't back down from much of anything, and, uh, you know, he'd take it on. So, Lindsay, let's let's go ahead and move on from high school. The relationship began, quote-unquote, officially with the dating and whatnot, and that led into marriage. Tell us about Daniel at that time. Oh, Daniel was an amazing person. He um, he was so full of life and fun. He was a go-getter, um, good provider for the family, and he was he was in the military for a while, and he really excelled at that. And then, um. What branch of the military was he in? He was in the Marines. In the Marines, okay. And then uh, we were both in college. I was going to IU. He was going to um, in Terre Haute. Indiana State. Thank you. Indiana State. And so we would visit on the weekends a lot. And we realized we didn't like to be apart. So we decided to come home and go to school where we could be a little closer because it seemed like we were missing school. One of us was always visiting the other. And so when we came back home um, to Red Key, I went to Ball State and he got accepted into the uh, electrician's union. So life was good then. As I recall, I can remember Daniel showing me his journeyman's card. He was an extremely young journeyman electrician. I'm wanting to say he was like 24. That may not be right. Is yeah. that pretty close? Yeah. 
probably. Yeah. And to have his journeyman's cart at that age, uh, if you know anything about the process, that says a bunch about who he was. And we would talk about that at times. And as you said, Daniel excelled at a lot of things. But I know Daniel then started to have some struggles and challenges, got into those areas that just started to darken his life. Tell us about that. Well, at one point, um, we split up. And he, I think he kind of um, got stuck in the Red Key um, it's kind of what you did back then, you know, um, there wasn't a lot to do in Red Key and on the weekends, I think kids would just get together and they would party and have fun. And I, I remember, um, at one point he would call himself a weekend warrior where he could just, you know, do things on the weekends. And then during the week he would go to work and he would he you can know, function he during function. the week. Yeah. <laughs> I was speaking with someone the other day. They said, that's just how it was. It's who we were. It's how we rolled. That was our life during that time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, we, we have mentioned Red Key, but Red Key's not peculiar in that respect. Most small towns yeah. and even many larger towns within given sections. So I, okay. Uh, you said he'd labeled himself as that weekend warrior. Most of us get that. Go ahead. And we um, we had split up. I was living in Muncie, and he was living at home. And then some bad things happened in, in his life where I decided to go check on him and see how he was. Nothing drug-related, just... Um, and when I did, uh, it was... It was back to love at first sight, I guess. And we got back together. But he had a drug problem at that time that I did not know was serious. I thought, well, he loves me. He wants to be with me. It's um, it's something he'll just quit now, you know, because I just thought that's how it worked. And... As time went on, I realized it was a bigger issue than I had anticipated and that it wasn't going to be just him quit. Had he yeah. at that point been able to face and admit and label his his battle, his fight, his addiction? Was he still in denial? He was still in denial. How he thought that... he was just having fun. Okay. Okay. He thought he correct me if I'm wrong, but he thought he could control it instead of it controlling him. Yes. He thought he could battle that and win. He could play on the weekends and uh, get real during the week. And I'm going to guess that started to change from two-day weekends to three-day to four-day, and it started to take over. Yes. I was um, I was in school at the time. We lived in a, in a little house that we rented, and he was in the electrician's union, and he would start missing classes um, for the for the union. And thank God he always tended to put responsibility first. So when he would see he was going off track, he he would kind of focus back on work. And um, it was just 
it got to the point where Daniel was a full-time responsibility. Um, I feel, I think I kind of took it on my own shoulders. I felt like I was trying to save a life okay. at that time. Um, and eventually it became so much that I quit school and he was all I could focus on. Um, it had just spiraled so far out of control that he wasn't, it was like he wasn't in there anymore. And I was trying to hold on to him and he was falling down this huge hole and I was, you know, just trying to hold on yeah. for him. You were his lifeline at that time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the way you describe that is that huge hole and trying to hold on to him, that's something all of us can visualize. That had to be very wearing and tearing for you and on you. I don't think I've realized how emotionally draining it was until, you know, years later. But, you know, while I was in it, it just felt like life. I'm, I was trying to save him. And I wasn't alone. I'm in a, he wanted saved. Um, I remember when Daniel, when this was going on, it was before rehabs were Yes, so readily accessible. And so we would uh, take him to the hospital, and it would be a three-day psych hold and then release him. And so it just felt like there wasn't a lot of help. We it, That show intervention had come out, and we signed him up to be on intervention. We never got a call back, but he... He was, and he was the one who came to me and said, Lindsay, maybe I could get help this way. He really wanted help, and there just wasn't a place to turn. I remember how often the 72-hour hold was used, and it still is today, but then I think it was more prevalent, used more often. There was no treatment. It was just a matter of being watched over. It was no pardon me, real help. It was simply a Band-Aid, but at least it got him through that next three days. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Uh, where'd it go from there, Lindsay? Well, we spent um, a lot of years back and forth. Um, Daniel never had one drug that he just, you know, latched onto. It was whatever was available. So it was always a roller coaster up and down. What's he on now? Um, it got to the point where I could hear it in his voice. If he would call, I would know, you know, if he's on uppers or downers or just from hearing his voice. And um, it got very tiring when you're trying to save someone that they may want help, but it's almost like their job of an addict is to um, to trick you and deceive you. And whether they mean to manipulate you or not, you're being manipulated. You were fighting harder for him than he was fighting for himself. Yes. I remember um, finding out who drug dealers were, and I would block the numbers from his phone. Um I remember answering the phone if he would be sleeping and say, if if you sell my husband drugs again, I will call the police on you. And 
you know, tracking him down, following him, just it, for no, you know, looking back on it, who did I think I was? <laughs> I couldn't save him, yeah. you know? Yeah. My ego was so big to think that well, I could. Your ego and your desire to see him saved. <laughs> yes. You mentioned something just a moment ago, how he had that voice to where you could tell immediately if it was an up or a down or whatever the case may be. Recently, I interviewed someone who was in your seat and they made a comment about their dad who had who had been pretty much an alcoholic with lots of other drugs involved for years. But she remembers the day after he went for treatment, got clean, he had his voice back as she remembered. And I bet you longed for that, didn't you? Oh, yeah, every day. And my parents, um, they would see me struggle. And I, one thing my mom said to me that's always stuck with me is, honey, I was so worried about you, but you always had a smile on your face. So I thought everything was okay you know, as long as I was smiling and, and I probably was really good at hiding it from the world. Um, you were in some denial as well. Mm-hmm. If I don't say it, if I don't show it, maybe it's not real, or at least I can keep the secret. Yes. Yes. And it, it was a, um, was a secret. His, um, after he passed, um, his stepmom said, you hid it so well from us, we didn't know what a problem he had. And I, to me, when someone's fallen asleep in their plate or, you know, their plate sure. of food, or um, we would go to the mall, um, and it got to the point where Lily and I would drive around waiting on him to fall asleep because it was so embarrassing if he came in the mall with us <laughs> because he would... He was very vocal when he was on something and very friendly. So it would get to the point where it was embarrassing and we would just leave him in the car, you know, and we yeah. would go inside and um, Lily and I would go, if we would go on a walk or something, when we came back home, we would have to um, check to make sure he was breathing. I mean... At the time, you don't realize how much that is draining you, but it was it was like a big sigh of relief when when we got divorced, and I, you know, thought how yeah. how did I put my child through this? <laughs> so, yeah. go ahead, tell us some of Daniel's last days and how that came down, how his passing took place. Well, um. Daniel, there was um, a lot of years where it, it sounds like it was all bad, but it it wasn't either. Daniel had so many good qualities, best boyfriend I ever had, um, wonderful provider, good father, um, just the addiction got in the way a lot. And at one point, I finally had to divorce Daniel. And that was a really traumatic time because he fell even farther down the rabbit hole and he became homeless and um, he ended up on the news and he was, you know, on TV. And then one day, I think just from 
maybe he hit rock bottom. I don't know. Um, but he decided to, to get sober. So he went to rehab. He stayed with his family in Red Key. And he stayed sober for a year. And he helped me with Jameson. He helped me with, you know, he was back in Lily's life. Um, we were best friends again. Things were looking up. He had a job. And then one day, um, Lily had something. We asked him to go out to dinner. And normally Daniel would have jumped on that because he didn't get to spend a lot of time with Lily. Um, and he didn't. And I thought, that's strange. That's not like him. And I should have seen that as the first sign of a relapse. Um, but a few days later, he showed up at a volleyball game of Lily's. And I could tell he was not um, sober. So I had a long talk with him. And I said, Daniel, I, I really want to come get whatever it is you have at home and throw it away and you go to rehab tomorrow and he agreed he would do that so he did give up what he his stash or whatever and but he didn't go to rehab the next day so it kind of progressed the next couple weeks where he wouldn't answer the phone he wouldn't answer text messages and one morning I woke up and his uh stepmom called and said Daniel relapsed he's in the hospital he's okay um but he did relapse and so I just thought uh here we go again and then a couple minutes later she called back and she said I'm sorry I was misinformed he's no longer with us and it was crushing just crushing because I thought we had him back. So many times I've heard a similar story where you have those months or that year of recovery, and then there's that relapse that is the last relapse that it takes their lives. I know for a fact as someone stops using their resistance to the drug declines dramatically to where to use half as much as what you used to use can kill you twice as fast. And I think that's the case in many of these. You know, they used to use so much, so they tried that again, and now they can't handle it. Triggers will set them off. We don't always know what sets them off, but going through that, watching your daughter go through that had to be traumatic and painful. Well, it was, it was terrible. Um, it was such a battle inside because so many people are judging you. They're watching you. Um, they think they know what's best, you know, and when you love someone so much and you've known them for so many years, it's hard to walk away. So you think, you know, you put yourself in that position and you think, well, I would have just left him. I had Lily begging me, please don't leave daddy, please stay. And as a human with compassion, how do you leave someone when they're at their absolute worst? 
Um, it was what would God want me to do? That's a question that came into my mind so many times over the years. What, what would God want? And leaving him so wounded never felt right, but I never felt so judged in my life I am to sure. love him. Opinions are, <laughs> they're a dime a dozen, okay? But yes. living through and knowing the intricacies is something totally different. Okay, let's move to that next step then. After Daniel, I know that you had someone else come into your life, that that was kind of an in and out thing as far as the time. But tell us about your relationship with Justin. Okay, uh, when Daniel and I got divorced, it was literally one of the hardest things I ever have done. I mean, um, so when this bright I see this bright light ray of hope, you know, Justin walks in and he was just so happy and charismatic and funny and um, clever. And he um, he just took my mind off of everything that was going on at home. And he loved my daughter. My daughter eventually loved him, <laughs> you know, took a little time, but... Um, it was, um, it felt like life was, was moving forward in a positive way, finally. So you guys were together how long? Four years. For four years. And I know that, you know, you've already made it clear just what a joy. And I think a bright light is the way you referred to him there. I get that part of it. I, I knew him well enough to see that in him. He did have that style about him. He was a good schmoozer. He was uh, very good. He, he was fun to be around. He always had a jab for you of some type, but uh, always respectful with it as well. But I know he had his own battles. Tell us a little about that, Lindsay. Well, I didn't know Justin growing up. I only know from what I saw. But... um he was in the military and he got hurt in the military. So he, the doctor prescribed him pain medication. And so when Justin and I got together, I knew that he was on medication for his knee, but I didn't, didn't think that was an issue. Um, because it wasn't drugs on the street, I guess. And so as time went on, um, I think somehow he had lost his prescription, like his doctor quit writing his prescription or something. Um, and it wasn't long after that I started noticing a huge change, change in Justin. Um, he would sleep a lot. He wasn't present. He wouldn't answer my phone call. He wouldn't show up at Lily's games and it just was out of character. Um, but we already loved him by that point. And it was um, not again, God, not again. <laughs> but that's where we were. So, how, how did, you know, I, I hear you say not again, not again. Did you start to doubt or question Lindsay in any way? I did. What was that like for you, Lindsay? Um, I just thought, what is wrong? with my choices or what am I supposed to be learning from this? It was always about Lindsay instead of like seeing the bigger picture and seeing there were two humans struggling so 
hard that they couldn't, um, they, you know, they ended up losing their lives. And I was worried about what people thought around me or, um, you have this idea of what a relationship should feel like and it should be pretty even, you know, I, I think anyway, give and take should be even. And it just felt like I'm always giving, I'm always giving and there's, it's not coming back, you know? And so I think that I was pretty selfish in that way by, um, I couldn't take myself out of the situation and look at the big picture. And if I maybe could have looked at the big picture, I could have helped. You were a piece of the puzzle instead of being able to stand back and look at the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, just too close to it. Yes. Tell us about, or excuse me, about Justin's passing, about how that came about, and then we want to, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Um, well, I... Uh, I had Jameson. He, we got pregnant for Jameson um, like a year before. And Justin worked on the road. Um, he was a millwright, so he was gone a lot. And he would come home on the weekends. And so um, we had Jameson, and he got to take a little time off. Seems like he was switching jobs, switching companies, um, because he would get to be home more. And so after we had Jameson, um, it was like two weeks later. And two weeks after Jameson was born? Yes. Okay. Um, about day 12, I said, honey, I, I couldn't work anymore. And I had been kind of used to um, keeping the family keeping the finances. I was kind of the breadwinner, I guess. And so, um, I was like, Justin, honey, you really need to go back to work. And he did not want to leave Jameson and Lily and, and me. And I think if he could have found a job closer to home, but the thought of leaving Jameson when he was just born was really hard on him. And it was, I started noticing him having a lot more stress, a lot more stress. And, um, but he went ahead and left. And the night that he left, um, he called and we had a real long talk. We were on the phone until a little after midnight. And then um, we'd made plans to go see him that weekend. And, I finally, um, we hung up the phone and the next morning he would always send me a text message, um, have a good day at work or whatever. And I didn't get that text message. And I thought, well, you know, his first day at a new job and then lunchtime, he would always call. I didn't get a phone call at lunch, but I kept telling myself everything's okay, you know? And then I got a phone call from Dan Watson and uh this is Justin's dad yes and he said Lindsay I'm gonna need you to come to the house and I said no <laughs> not coming over Dan I knew something was wrong and uh he called back and he said Lindsay I need you to come to the house and I finally went to the house and found out Justin had passed 
we we understand that was overdosed. Don't know what triggered. So many times we don't. What did it trigger in you when you knew that you knew that he was gone? I had a newborn baby and Lily, and um, I was heartbroken, devastated. I did not see if Justin had this huge problem. I did not see it or didn't want to see it. Um, with Daniel, I always kind of knew in the back of my mind at some point he's probably not going to make it, you know, and I had come to grips with that. With Justin, it blindsided me. I don't know. Um, he had been doing pretty well before that, hadn't he, for a while? Is I think right? so. Yeah. Justin okay. was very secretive. He was very okay. good at that. But I really think he had been doing better. Um, so I I knew I had to be strong for the baby and for Lily. Um, Lily had already been through a lot in her life. And then to lose Justin, I knew it was going to be really traumatic and I just knew that I needed to be strong I, for them. <laughs> those two hits, I can't imagine how hard they were to take, uh, to lose one by by drug, uh, you know, overdose, and then to lose uh, your child's father by drug overdose. Uh, the, the toughness is beyond my, my ability to imagine. Who did Lindsay become after all of that? Numb, very numb. <laughs> I kind of uh, locked myself away for four years. Um, I just focused on the kids and dealing with myself, looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, you know, what? why is my life here? You know, what, um, what could I have done different? What could I have changed? What was my part in it, you know? And um, and it took a, a long time to reflect on that. And it's hard to look at yourself in the mirror. Oh, yes, that's, uh, that's one of the most difficult moments anybody can have and to enjoy what you see, you know, okay? So you mentioned how you had kind of locked yourself away for those four years, a lot of introspection, trying to figure out whatever you could figure out with this. Where's Lindsay today? Who is she? What's her mental state? What's her emotional state? I know there's still pain. You'll never get over the loss of either one of them. Uh, you loved them too much to get over it. But where are you now? Um, I think I'm in a good spot. I um, Jameson is in preschool now, and his grandmother, Kelly, watches him so that I can work. So I got to go back to work, and I think that was a huge step in my mental <laughs> my mental wellness. Um, I've realized that I was not in control of any of it, so the way that I reacted, which was with a lot of anger. Most of the time I've fought a lot with Daniel and Justin. Um, it was who I, it was what I was capable of at that time. 
And I you, think it was the best you could do under your could do. circumstances, knowing what you knew. Yes. Okay. And I think that every day you just have to, whatever you feel guilty about or you're struggling with, you have to think, did I do my best? Was my intention the best that, you know, and I see that I only did what I was capable of at the time. And so I've made peace with that. That's had to be a journey in and of itself. And I'm going to guess, though, you... You're there at that point in peace. That journey is going to continue with every breath you have, and hopefully it will grow and improve, and you'll you'll understand Lindsay better than you've ever understood her, that you'll be the you that God had created you to be to the, you know, to the utmost, and that you'll be able to, to no longer feel anger at them or yourself. Uh, we make mistakes. That's called life. But it's what we do with those mistakes, yes? Yes, yeah. yes. It's amazing the um, the steps that you go through when you lose someone. Um, what are those called? The Oh, steps of grief? Yes. Yes. Um, they're true. Every, you know, you go through every single one of those, and then sometimes you revisit and, it's and you go back. It's not a linear and, movement. You bounce back and forth between that anger that well you know it begins with the denial stage just like no no that can't be there are still times i think i might be in denial um thinking you know maybe justin will come back not not as justin but as like this new soul you know and then i think Lindsay, what yeah well (laughs) it's just denial that that is part of yeah it is denial but it's also coping and it's not the worst of ways to cope with this, okay? So many don't have any tools to cope with. At least you're thinking about the grief by mentioning those stages, that denial, that anger, when you get to the end, reinvesting in life. And I can tell you, Lindsay, with all honesty, being here today, I, I know that can be an easy thing. It can't be comfortable but you're wanting to invest in life. And you started this whole thing off with the idea that you want to be able to help kids whose parents are struggling with addiction. Do you have any further thoughts on that idea, how you might be able to play that out? Well, um, for a long time, I thought Lily had some friends, you know, that were in the same situation and maybe if we just had a little group every week where they met or um, never really went much farther than just her friends, you know, but um, I've often thought that, or um, I've looked into getting my master's in social work because that's the quickest way I could get to counseling. Yes, Um, sure. I'm not sure that's where, where I'm intended to go. You okay. know, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, folks know this. Uh, we've also uh, had an interview with Lily. I don't know what order these interviews will come out, but you're going to get to hear from a 16 year old who went through these battles, as Lindsay so often mentioned here. And you'll, you'll have a respect for what that was about. It'll help you understand Lindsay better, as Lindsay's story will help you to 
to understand Lily better. So, Lindsay, thank you for your willingness to join with us, your willingness to share, to open up. This is so appreciated, and I know it's going to have an impact because there are there are many folks out there like you who fought the battle for someone, with someone, but didn't come out with the victory they hoped for. Yeah, so uh, once again, we appreciate it. God bless you. And folks, just continue to tune in to our podcast. We believe that there's recovery for everyone. It's going to take a different way to get there. It's going to take a different mode to get you there. But there is a path, and we want to help you find that. So if we can be of any help, by all means, contact us or reach out to a support and recovery group. Above all, and to end it all, stay in the battle.